Hello, Tome Show listeners. We have a special treat for you today. The awesome Wade Rocket of Pelgrane Press has given the Tome Show the audio from their 13th Age Gen Con seminars. 13th Age is a great fantasy RPG designed by Rob Heinsu, one of the lead developers of 4th edition D&D, and Jonathan Tweet, one of the lead developers of 3rd edition D&D. 13th Age has been described as a spiritual successor to 4th edition D&D. It has tactical combat elements, but it also integrates narrative role-playing game elements right into the system. This is the kind of game that might interest D&D players, so we thought our audience would enjoy hearing these seminars. Thank you for listening. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to 13th Age Adventure Design and to Gen Con 2015! Woo! Woo! All right. Well, wow. Someone is not excited about that. I don't walk a mile and I have to get here, so... Well, yes, there is that. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, I am Wade Rocket. I'm a community relations guy for uh, 13th Age and Pelgrane Press, and uh, I also designed the... 13th Age Adventure, Wreck of Volan's Glory for Cobalt Press. Um, and I've been running a campaign since the 13th Age playtest, and I tend to kind of uh, do my own thing rather than using published adventures, so uh, I've kind of been designing adventures for my own group uh, along the way. And uh, let's introduce the rest of our panelists, starting with Cal. I'm Cal Moore. I uh, wrote uh, Shadows of Eldon, and that touched most of the other books uh, in the uh, line. Uh, I also have been GMing, uh, uh, creating my own adventures since playtest times, basically. I've known Rob for a while, and so started off on that. And uh, So that's a couple years in now. So, uh, And also I have the Battle Scenes book that will be coming up pretty soon. It has a lot of good uh, adventure material. Cool. I'm Ashnor. Um I am in charge of the organized play program, which means I end up writing a new adventure more or less every month or every other month so yeah. hey um, so uh, I've uh, um, also uh, Shards of the Broken Sky which is a big mega adventure which was a bit too big so it's now coming out next year not this year uh, it, but it's, it's, it's good it's good it's just just 60% too big uh, so too much is better than not enough. Too yes. much is better than not enough. So much goodness. Bigger than Eyes of the Stone. A little extra. At, at this point, yes, it is bigger than Eyes of the Stone. It, it, it will not be published as something <laughs> that is bigger than Eyes of the Stone. No, um, I believe we're uh, repurposing some of the uh, some of the uh, the content in that for other releases. There, there might be some content from there which goes other places, and maybe Chapter Seven is going to go other places too. Chapter Seven is. Players go shopping, or rather, their characters go shopping, right. and it has this whole thing on. So you, you can't buy a magic item. Well, supposing somebody wanted to sell a magic item, mm. what would that actually be like? So it's this whole bit on. Okay, here's here's how you would hold an auction. Here's why it's a really bad idea to hold an auction for magic items, and here's how to run a little adventure on that. Um, <laughs> here's uh, here's some ways to divest your players of all their gold. It, it does, yeah, it, it does, does. <laughs> but it's a bit too big for a monthly yes, article. Yes, and I'm Ruth Tillman. I write for the Illuminati as well as um, some gumshoe things, but I've been doing a series called The Eldritch Icons in which I've been providing supplemental material where the, the concept is a Lovecraftian slash Smithian slash Machinian, essentially a weird twist to the icons and a certain amount of conflict 
coming into the, the 13th age and then I'm also interested in how the 13th age and investigative role-playing uh, work together and there's some stuff that's going to be happening in the future. We were talking about it at last Gen Con and we're talking about it again now so I can't say exactly when it's going to happen. But yeah, the, the latest uh, Eldritch Icons just came out a couple of days ago, right? Yes, yes, I got my gumshoe adventure in and then went back to Eldritch Icons. It was the, it's a variant on the Prince of Shadows? Mm-hmm. Yes, the Prince of Shadows is essentially behind the entire operation because who better to undermine the entire 13th age? Oh, Prince of Shadows is behind everything. Who indeed? Excellent. Uh, so let's talk adventure design. And uh, I'd like to start maybe by asking uh, you guys in the audience some questions. Uh, how many of you run published adventures for 13th age? Right. How many of you have created your own adventures for 13th age. <laughs> awesome. And well, how, uh, many, how many take a published adventure and then don't run it but just pick bits yeah. from it? Yeah. 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 There you go. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of hands. Excellent. So, um, out, of, out of curiosity, based on your experience of 13th age, uh, and I'm going to talk weird sometimes because we're recording this and hopefully going to post it online, so those of you in the audience that I'm addressing now, uh, to you, what what makes a 13th age adventure a 13th age adventure rather than, you know, any other kind of D20 rolling system? I think it comes back from the best example I had actually in review of one of ours was um, that it needs to put the, them, the characters in the heroic age, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, that they are the center line. They are the center spot. That they are doing very heroic things. That you can't break them down into mundane tasks like you would, you know, with something like Pathfinder or D and D. You also the iconics become tremendously important. It's a frustration that I've had that they weren't OGL to do any published adventures with. So you have to create your own. That is challenging. Yeah, and so that was that was the, the biggest uh, thing that I found that uh, in doing conversions for some of the stuff that we've done to get it into thirteenth age. It's easier and cheaper, but that was the biggest thing that I got the feedback from our customer base was change these two things and you'll have awesome adventures. And I went, well, I'm not allowed to do that, so how do I work around it? Okay, so uh, with um, oh, and, and and so the, uh, the the comment, if for those of you listening at home, uh, was uh, that uh, incorporating the icons into a third party adventure is challenging because they are not OGL. And how do you get around that? So, uh, with Deep Magic, I got around that by... Uh, there, there, there's some spells there which you can clearly see. Okay, this spell is about... Uh, this, this, uh, the Orc Lord's Axes, I wanted to call it, but it, I couldn't call it the Orc Lord's Axes. It's like the Orc King's Axes, the, the, the Lich Prince's touch of death. Uh, you can keep the flavor, but you can keep the flavor. Uh, if you are publishing an adventure and you want to have stuff which clearly ties to an icon, you can say uh, uh, this uh, this uh, vampire works for a powerful lich. But you don't have to call him the lich king. Uh, and in uh, 13th Age actually does that as well. Uh, the uh, uh, Iconic, if you will, uh, goddess of the dark elves, the drow. Yes. Uh, Who, whose name they are loath to speak. Whose name they are loath to pronounce. <laughs> yes. Loath to pronounce. Uh, <laughs> uh, for those of the audience who don't know, uh, uh, Lolf is the demon queen of the spiderwebs, but isn't OGL. 
but you can say that people are loath to pronounce her name. And yes. then... So you, you, you can hint at stuff. Well, and, well, and, and, and I um, actually go even broader, uh, because when I'm designing an adventure for publication, I'm trying to keep in mind that, since I'm the community guy, I hear a lot of people talking about making their own icons for their own settings, and so I'm assuming, okay, they might be make, rolling their own icons, and so I want to say, you know, this magic item or this enemy would be especially good with an icon who's focused on magic and, and the arcane, which in the Dragon Empire could be the Archmage or the Diabolist, um, or even the Elf Queen to an extent. Um, in Midgard, it could be um, um, the beloved Imperatrix, or it could be the Queen of the Shadow Fae. And so I want, to, I want to give them some flexibility if they want to swap things out for their own custom icons, because I expect people to hack the hell out of 13th Age. Yeah. And uh, Steve, feel free to plug your stuff also. You've been very good about not saying what this mysterious product is. So, Wright Publishing took an adventure that we did from Pathfinder called The Breaking of Lost Ark. Nagar, which was written by a guy named Ben McFarland, later won the Annie. Yeah. It's done. The, the, what made it really, really special was uh, Jonathan Roberts is the cartographer for the uh, Lands of Ice and Fire poster maps. If you've seen those gorgeous maps and stuff, well, he did all, he made it a virtual tabletop thing that you could entirely go through on any virtual tabletop. And it is this gorgeous product, and I've, I decided it was going to be the first thing we put over every system that could possibly take it. And mm -hmm. I was approached by a huge 13th Age fan who wanted to do it, and he's continued to do other stuff, like we did 101 Feats and Talents, and we did the uh, 101 Mystical Sites so that you could have rules for magical-type terrain to do different different things. I loved the uh, Eldritch Icons because it gave us something more to look at with the idea of uh, where we were going with the Iconics. Um, but, that was the only thing that I, I kept running into that wall of it's harder to... I guess I'm less that way where I don't want to infringe regardless of, even if it's just intentional. Uh, not saying it correctly, but sure. it's one of those things where... Uh, but that was the feedback that I got. Every, they loved every other part of it, but the two things we got feedback from was that there was too much mundane stuff. They felt like they were having to worry about slipping on ice in a city made out of a glacier. They didn't, that's not something to do with them. Yes, unless slipping on ice in a city made out of a glacier is really interesting, yes. you know, yeah. but that would be, I'm not sure what that would do. Yeah. I don't know, you slip on ice and a building crashes down around you. <laughs> interesting. So um, the, it's very fragile buildings. Sure. So the elevator pitch for the adventure was simply, uh, I guess the best way to put it is, the Reavers from Firefly invade a city and you have to rescue your ambassador from that city. And so it's an get in the city that's being overrun and then get out and there's no way to save the city and that, again we got hit with we want to be the heroes and save the city right so yeah it's, yeah it's giving so so maybe a, so one thing is that if you're designing a 13th age adventure you want to give players opportunities to have their characters really shine and be super heroic would that be uh, fair don't put up, don't put up stop signs yeah yeah and don't uh, and don't fill it with fiddly mundane things like you're hungry after three days. <laughs> Where are you going to go to the bathroom? I don't know. Yep. Big damn heroes. Yes. Can you give me the box on your rations chart. <laughs> yes. How much stuff can you carry? I don't. My. I mean. I'm not going to. This is the GM roundtable is maybe for. So I had my and my table. We do this. Um, 
just to comment on that, yeah. I feel like that's something that is really uh, really comes out reading 13, 13th Age material. Is um, it feels like a, a lot of sort of set pieces, right? Like these big cinematic, uh, very evocative uh, moments. And so there's a lot less, um, you know, rolling for one reencounters. Your love, your party of you know epic level characters fights five orcs, takes an hour of game time. You're sitting here rolling dice. The outcome is never in question. But that's the sort of content that you run into in a lot of other systems. Whereas it feels like here you would say, all right, you guys meet the orcs. They're like, what do you guys do with the orcs? The player on the left. What happens with the orcs? Next person. Well, what happens with the next? Like, I really love that in the organized play, the idea of having each person present uh, some encounter and having the next person describe how uh, how it was resolved. And it's, it adds to the story without adding to a lot of game time that's sort of dull and uninteresting. If, if you watch um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, not not the Hobbit because that was awful, uh, but the, the, the Lord the of Hobbit the Rings trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the Lord of the Rings, they they have like one or two montages per film in, in that. They, they, they go to Helm's Deep and they have this whole we're getting everybody armor and swords montage and they're not, they're not spending an hour rolling dice and, and, and saying, okay, I, I spend two hours forging this sword, what happens next, okay, and now I get this check. They just do this quick montage, now everybody has, has uh, oh, and this amusing thing happens where the chain shirt is too big for the dwarf. And then and they, 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 and they do like two of these per movie, but you don't even notice that it's a, that anything's happening here because they skip to the next big thing. So that, that's that's thirty page way. The, the the fiddly stuff you can go, oh yeah, you come across a big river, but unless coming across that big river is interesting, you could just go, okay, you move now to the to the mountain where the actual interesting stuff is happening. Right. I always think of it as as what's the next interesting scene. Yeah, you know, yeah. thinking about. Adventures visually too really helps to set up you know whatever the details are of a battle or interaction or encounter and you know sometimes that means you're fighting sometimes that just means you're getting past that challenge in an interesting way that the players come up with. And now I'm going to make a terrible Hobbit reference because <laughs> you made me think of it because I have seen all three films. I know I have a friend who we do it for his birthday. We did Lord of the Rings and then the Hobbit was a terrible mistake, but. It's never just orcs that you're fighting either, and one of the things that you see is like recurring, um, certain recurring orc characters, like some guys with really, I don't know why they were sticking pieces of metal in their orcs, but they were. And it, so it's not just that you encountered some orcs, you know, tell me how it went, but then you might get a montage of like the orc that got away reporting back. So mm-hmm. now there's some connection with the orc lord or some element that's going to become a bigger part of your thing later. So you can tie those random encounters into other stuff. There's something similar in the uh, introductory adventure of the core book where you have those, you know, the, the goblins. But, depending on you know, the icon relationship, there's, you know, there's different flavors to them doing, implying you know, those sort of outside connections that you know, sort of reinforce the sort of pervasive nature of the, of the icons. Yeah. So you can you can use it to sort of to foreshadow that okay well you know, if, if we're going to be going into a different direction you can you can do those sort of small little interstitial scenes but give them a flavor of either foreshadowing the callbacks to sort of weave it into a larger narrative instead of just making them you know rolling dice because you think there should be a combat. So that's that's a good point. Um, in Thirteenth Age, mundane things can be interesting when they are tied to the icons. So in uh, the next organized play session coming up, uh, Race to Starport, 
uh, there are these things called marsh drakes. And the, what's a marsh drake? Well, it's kind of like a big cow type thing. It doesn't really matter what it is. You're just hired to take these marsh drakes from here to there, and the adventure happens. But what makes the art mar marsh drakes interesting is, well, if you have a relationship with the high druid, then marsh drake milk is a vital component of uh, healing potions, but only druids know this. So there's a druid in this town that you're taking them to. Uh, if you have a relationship with the priestess, then, then marsh drakes are in fact considered this holy thing. And the reason why you're taking them to this town is that they are going to be uh, sacrificed uh, to to a god in this town. That's why you're taking... So mundane things can be made interesting if you tie them into the icons that the players are interested in, or give options there for the icons to come forwards. The early drafts of Wreck of Bolin's Glory were very much kind of a straightforward um, D20 railroad, where it's like, okay, well, you fight these guys here, you fight these guys here, you fight these guys here, then here's the big fight at the end, and you get this magic item. And, like, the magic dust that made it 13th Age was when I started thinking about, really thinking hard about the icons and the options that I could provide depending on what the icon relationships were that the players' characters had. And so it's like, okay, well, who is the main villain of this piece? That depends on the players. What is the thing you're all after? That depends on the players. And so it was, it was a lot more work. <laughs> but ultimately a much better adventure. And people, you know, some people in practice at the table, I think, kind of are a little iffy about the icons because they don't know how to handle the roles and things like that. So for me, at least, a big part of adventure design is building in ways for GMs to use icon roles and icon relationships to make the adventure more interesting and relevant. Um, uh, Cal, is that, um, is that kind of a, your approach? Yeah, I mean, you definitely want to give GMs an opportunity to, you know, little hooks for, for the icon roles to take advantage of it. Players can think of interesting ways of using them. Um, you know, in Shadows, uh, every every one of the there's uh, it's an investigative adventure, and every one of the leads had you know possible connections to the icons. That there's things going on besides the sort of the main storyline, right? You know, you have options, but then also there's this weird thing with a you know slime that's moved out of the the sewers and driven all the rats out, and the, the mages have um, you know they're the ones that accidentally let it loose in, in the sewers and stuff like that. These, and these different options that will tie back, you know, that's an Archmage connection there with, with the icons. And so I think any time that you can help the players see an opportunity to use their advantages is, is a good thing. And, and Ruth, I'm curious, with the, um, with the Eldritch icons, mm -hmm. who are horrifying by and large, what, what happens with adventure design when you have icons who, are not, who don't fall into that heroic villainous uh, kind of spectrum as easily? Well, that's one of one of the concepts that I'm currently working on is the idea that the players are working in a place where there's a, an ongoing conflict, and so they can try either uh, they can try aligning themselves with the icon, or they can try aligning themselves with the former icon and sort of fighting against it, and it becomes a battle for a particular icon's soul, as it were. Uh, one of the things that I had fun with with the High Druid was I borrowed a bit of well, I worked a bit from the. 13 True Ways, but then I went also to the Deep Magics bit mm -hmm. and looked at some of the stuff for Blood Druids and the concept was you could start aligning yourself with this um, Yanda, The she's an elk goddess and she's so 
mundane-ish in the literature, but she has these horrifying priests that are just bloodthirsty inquisitors, which is fascinating. She's a beautiful elk, and somehow connected to Nyarlathotep, possibly through marriage, they had all these hypotheses in the, in the Lovecraftian fan mail back in the 20s, and they were all writing each other excitable letters. <laughs> but she has these horrifying priests, and so I, I said, okay, you could start an iconic connection with her as a druid and just pick up this thing where you can hear the heartbeats of the squirrels in the trees. You can start to get these things where you control the blood of your enemies, maybe. And so there were some excellent blood spells in the Beat Magics that I recommended as well for picking up, as well as taking some basic druid spells and bringing them forward. So I'm trying to connect it in so that you could actually come up with a fairly... It would definitely be a something evil group if we're going on the nine part alignment. Evil. Yeah. Evil. But you could have some very interesting characters, I think, if you connected them okay. with these icons. It would just be a much, much darker uh, campaign. But, you know, you, she needs to take over the territories of the High Druid. Or the High Druid needs you to smash all these things that her people are building. Yeah. Yeah. So. Th- there are a couple things we could do with this panel. I, I had a crazy idea and a less crazy idea. The crazy idea was that um, we would design an adventure together in the time we have. The less crazy idea is that you guys could tell us some of the things you want to know about adventure design and the challenges you're having, and we could try to answer them. Do you have a preference? Shall we make an adventure? Sure. All right. Let's do that. All right. So the, the basic template for this, PR flack that I am, uh, I write a lot of uh, descriptions of, of events, and so the basic template for conveying what an adventure is about is uh, the characters must verb noun in order to goal. However, complication. So let's take that basic framework and start filling it in Mad Lib style, and then uh, 13th Age of it. How's that sound? All right. So the characters must verb noun in order to bold. The characters the, the characters have to do a thing for a reason, but then something happens that makes it really complicated and difficult. The characters must. Uh, well, ch- yeah. well, I hope we get it from the. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> You're writing things Audience. down. You, give, uh, give us a. What what must the characters do? Um, <clears throat> Must kill, journey, kidnap, save, destroy, find, fight, rescue, solve, rescue a goblin. Rescue, rescue. Do we want to go with the goblin or something anyone else? Or something else? Something else unusual. Oh, let's let's let's, let's, have, let's have somebody else. Yeah. For what, what, what are the players up for rescue? Rescue. The rescue, rescue of vampire. Rescue a vampire. Okay. okay. Interesting. Uh, okay. Goal. Why do they need to rescue a vampire? They rescue a vampire to learn secret knowledge. Oh, so, wait, wait a second. Ah, okay. He just said something. What yes. tier are well, they what at? But I'm not sure that it matters though, because even if if you're at adventure tier, you could still have a vampire adventure that would be pretty cool. I mean, it, it matters in who you're facing, but don't let that limit you. No, it's it's sort of just like what the larger picture is, because you know. Is it save the empire or well, save the village? Well, you know, yeah. Yeah, save the village. Save the region, or this, you know, locked up vampires are only those where the rich king's phylactery is. You know, that's well, 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 very well, different. Yeah. Hey, well, that was the second level of yeah. adventure, well, the village king's phylactery. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, well, that's adventure tier. 
<laughs> Let's maybe figure out what we want to do, and then that will decide yeah. yes. where we're okay, at. Okay, so in order to ratify a will, oh. I, I like that because he wrote he wrote the will, and now he's now he's undead. Okay, get secret knowledge was great. That's surprising. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to go with, yeah, let's go with ratify. The PCs need to save a vampire in order to ratify a will. Rescue a vampire. Talk about the, rescue, rescue a vampire. Um, well, yeah, talk about the Which mundane the becoming question, interesting. Who has the vampire? So, yeah, right. But, the goal they, they in order to, it seems yeah. like, this is what you were talking about before, where the icon, you were trying to have different sort of possible goals based on different icons. Mm-hmm. Because yes. it seems like you could very easily tie this into the Lich King with, you know, the idea of ratifying a will, you could very easily tie this into, I mean, like, the emperor. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll get there. We'll start, okay, we'll start okay. applying the icons once we get this okay, framework what's, what's down. The, what's the however? Yeah, however, or, yeah, but however. what's the complication? They need to rescue a vampire in order to ratify a will. When suddenly? When suddenly, or but what they don't know is, and it can be general. Maybe something about the vampire. <laughs> Maybe something about the vampire. See, whenever well. whenever I get stuck, I always go when suddenly there we go. ninjas, and then then when I get whatever <laughs> the actual thing is, like what was that back there? How are the vampires being held by a secret cabal? Secret cabal. Of some worshippers, possibly the other side oh, of the world. Oh, some worshippers. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, let's make it hard. The PCs need it's a to, bit true blood. I like it. The PCs need to rescue a vampire in order to ratify a will. However. The vampire is being held by a secret cabal of sun worshippers. I like that they're a secret cabal of sun worshippers. <laughs> <laughs> they they, they kind of sneak out. <laughs> they wear hoods outside and <laughs> no one's around. <laughs> but would it be more interesting if they were a well-known, well-respected group of sun worshippers? Makes it harder to deal with. You can't just kick down their front oh, door. Oh, they could, they could be a secret cabal of sun worshippers. The sun worshippers are well-known, but the secret cabal... <laughs> Yes. It's not well known. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because immediately I'm, I'm wondering, like, the, the least controversial thing, you know, in a fantasy civilization is sun worshippers. So it's like, why would they need to hide? What are they after? Exactly. Yeah. Oh, how about they, uh, how about they, they worship some sort of, uh... Oh, they're, they're the Akhenaten types versus... The Aten types. Sorry, that's an Egyptian reference. It, it is okay. so often. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I know. Yes, I know. Right. I'm and I know history. Oh, <laughs> I wrote a book. You don't sacrifice people. The sun doesn't rise. Type. Yeah, like, like, like they're they're the much more intense, destroy all your other gods kind of sun worshippers. Unlike the friendly sun worshippers. Okay, so so like priestess, the right there. We bring in the priestess, and so maybe that guy, you know, is going to be sacrificed. Yeah, real soon. So the secret the cabal, uh, uh, they're monotheists. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're monotheists. They're monotheists in a polytheistic world, and they're very hardcore but secretive. Interesting. They, do they, they, do they, they probably stand to benefit greatly if the vampire is not recovered. Sure. Yeah. sure. Some tie into the will. So this is <laughs> one of the things that we discussed a lot when we were originally using the first adventure was you don't talk much in adventures about... If you're a GM, it's awesome because you can entirely talk about who the characters are, so you know what icons you're going to be using, because who they relate to and who they are tied to. Mm-hmm. It's a lot easier. If you're doing a published adventure, you either read them all, or you don't talk about them at all, or you talk or about you them do very five. Yeah. yeah, your limit's five. 
I, five is generally what I'm comfortable with, and then you know, if you want to have an appendix with listing them all and say, hey, GM, here's the rest of the icons, if you want to do some you know, work and... I got straight up intimidated when I looked at the eyes of the, uh, the, the eyes of the stone thief and looked at the relationship chart <laughs> the icons. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> so close the book. Well, if you have five, freezer. you'll probably hit somebody's at the table. Okay. And one thing, like in something I did in battle scenes that will be coming out, is um, each one is sort of focused on an icon, and the adventure, you know, is around that. But at the beginning, I took two or three other icons and and wrote about how you could turn the, the story towards those icons instead of this one. So it, you know, a couple more options to open it up for based on what the PC group. Yeah, because it seemed the one huge advantage that I saw with that was that instead of traditional hooks, you literally don't need them because you have the relationships that the PCs have with the icons. It's a hook-generating machine. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. So what I've started doing is I've started going, okay, so this, this adventure is about this icon and this icon. And then each, uh, each component, each scene, each encounter, I've started adding icon options to. And that, that's going to be in the next season of organized play, you're going to see lots of okay, so they meet these meet these orcs, here's the orc thing, and then it's going to be icon option, priestess. These orcs have left the service of the orc lord, and they're trying to redeem themselves. The reason they want to kill you is they want to take your gold so they can then go spend it at this temple as a tithe. <laughs> they're still <laughs> orcs. Build orcs. <laughs> <laughs> they're doing it their way. Yeah. Right. Pretty much any NBC or group that you create for your players, you probably should be linking them to the icon, one of the icons in some way that's you know, especially in your home game, connected to one of your players. But it's always good to throw that that link out there, just because somebody will grab onto it. Yeah. Well, I, so I, I think so. We have the secret cabal of sun worshippers. So I think our pr- like, did you get the time limit in there? We're gonna vampires a sacrifice time limit. Uh, yeah. So so I think I think it's priestess versus someone, either directly or indirectly. And when we talk about ratifying a will, I go to devils. Because they are all about legalism yeah, and contracts and things. Yes, yes. It could be the Diabolist, it could be the Archmage, because if you um, have 13 True Ways, as you all should, there's like many icon options for devils. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The interesting thing is you could even be the Emperor, and this vampire is actually a high-ranking member, you know, maybe hidden, but within the Empire. So what, what I'd do there is I'd say, this is definitely a priestess adventure, and then at the beginning of the adventure I would say, if the Diabolist is important in your campaign, then this is what happens. If uh, if uh, Archmage's interest is the person, the icon of interest, then the, re- the reason behind the will is this thing. And then just put it out front, like two or three options of if, if the Dwarf King is important, then the will has to do with ownership of a mine, and the mine yeah. is important because it has a rare gem in it, which is important to the... But nobody's owned the mine for ages, the and they can't get yeah. it out according to the legal contract. See, oh, so, okay, you talked about a, the vampire being somebody of importance within the Empire, which makes me think Lich King, because you have that tension between the Emperor and the Lich King over who is the rightful ruler. So, could the vampire have a key to that somehow? Maybe the, maybe the vampire, like, maybe the vampire's will somehow undoes the Emperor's claim. Or undoes the Lich King. Or the Lich Kings, yeah. I think it's maybe, think, maybe we don't know. Yeah. Oh, John's, John's had his hand oh, up. Yes. So. Sorry. No, Steve. Sorry. Sorry. Um, John, John, Steve. <laughs> John Steve. John Steve. Steve John. Steve John. Okay. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about when you were talking about the vampire, we talk a lot about it as a vampire, but you don't 
you're talking about is Will, so you really know, need to know him as the vampire. Mm-hmm. You need to know who he was before was he, he died. He's a courtier. Became a vampire. So yes, he could have a tremendous to do with the Lich King, but this has this whole life and being an entirely different person at that time. He may lie to you as a vampire about the will, but you still have this whole essence of who his character is beforehand and how it relates to the PCs becomes very important. Um, so um, so my, my next stage with writing an adventure would be to pick two big scenes but I want I want players to, to be involved with and then use those as like the skeleton to hang the adventure on. So um, for this one we could we could we'll, we'll need to choose like two big scenes, one of which will lead into a final battle or final confrontation and one of which will be at the beginning and will give some interesting problems and we can lead into that beginning scene that beginning problem, that beginning location, with a montage. So let's let's pick two interesting scenes, locations, problems, situations. Well, if, if, oh, I was going to say if the, the the twist is that they're being held by a secret cabal of sun worshippers. So maybe that could be an early scene. Is mm-hmm. trying to okay. find them. Yeah, just uh, well, sun worshippers temple. So sun worshippers temple would be well, like the, the. You have to figure out where yeah. they are first, though. Yeah. That might be the piece. So yeah, let's 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 pick a location of the Dragon Empire. <laughs> Has anybody got somewhere crazy that they've never visited in the Dragon Empire and would like an adventure? But... The Island of Fire. Islands of Fire, tied to the yes. sun. Okay, yes. Isles of Fire, okay, type of yes. fire. And the Iron Sea for yeah for. So getting there is mm. going to be... Yeah, so getting there. Yeah, the Iron Sea is dangerous, so uh-huh. that could be the set piece. Okay, there. so let's, let's, make, um, let's make the first bit a montage, and let's make it finding the way across the Iron Sea, mm-hmm. and then, then the first scene is going to be some sort of skill challenge involving... Okay, you're on the Iron Cliffs. Sea. Cliffs. The Iron Sea has allowed you this far, but now it is going to ram your boat against these cliffs... How, how do you deal with that? And then that becomes a first skill challenge, and then we have something after that. So that, that gives us a montage and a skill challenge right there. Because if so, you're a cabal, you never, you never put your place somewhere easy to get to. There's like a slippery staircase cut into the rock face, and you have to find a get-up it and not fall down 100 feet into the Iron Sea and be swallowed by the kaiju that are just waiting. One thing that I... Uh, <laughs> one thing that I stole uh, from Ash recently, uh, from Weird of the Wild Wood, is um, because uh, my rangers were kind of plaintively asking when we were going to get out of the city and into the oh. forest. I know. It's like, well, we don't get to track anybody. So, so I was like, okay, you get to go into the forest. Um, and there, were, there are numerous options for bad things that could happen to them if they failed skill checks. And so it could be, so maybe let's provide an array of things, whether it's that invoke different types of skill challenges. So, Nav- not smashing into the cliffs, but maybe also one of the hazards is there is some sort of magical sea creature who asks riddles that you have to get past. You know, let the guy kind of go through for a, you know, odyssey, um, you know, kind of thing where you have to bypass the sirens or the harpies or whatever. I think the obvious one, too, is you somehow alert, you know, those who are watching up at the top of the cliffs that you're going to soon be facing or trying to bypass. And so it makes that... that Fight a little bit tougher if you end up fighting, or interrogate the sun worshippers. How did they get there, or become a sun worshipper and get there? Right. 
Yeah, a skill challenge could be catch and interrogate a sun worshipper in the city before you make it out to the island. Mm. Well, that that would be then before the but montage. But yeah, that would have been yeah. before the montage. Yeah. So, 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 so maybe you're in a seaside town trying to figure out how to get out there, and you know that there is an, one or more agents of the sun worshippers in town. So then, then we'd be talking about a montage of getting to that town, and then or doing something in that town, and then a skill challenge involving the... Well, I think, I think you could still do something with finding the person and then do the montage to get to the island. Well, I, I, uh, one of the early pieces of feedback that we had um, with the organized play program is montages work great at the beginning of an adventure. If you stick them anywhere else, it sucks for life. Yeah. Okay. Uh, See, th- and yeah. this is an interesting difference between me and Ash because I like to start adventures with a fight. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, roll for initiative. Somebody lunges out at you from this uh, from the bushes. Let's see. You can also do fight, then quick montage of like getting your stuff together. But apparently, if we're going to do a montage, it, yeah, but it's, it's more effective the at the beginning. It's it's super effective at the beginning. Okay. We did it backwards, where it was literally the fight at the beginning, mm-hmm. and then we had the montage of how we got to the fight. Afterwards. That's interesting. So it's flashback. Starting, oh, it's flashback montage. A little bit of a loss. So, that so you open up the, you open up the session with roll initiative, and then how we got here? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Three days ago. Let me tell you about my day. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. What I'd expect once they get to the town on a published adventure, at least from the 13-page stuff I've read, is you're at the town. How are you guys going to get there? And maybe there's a bunch of suggestions. You might try this. You might try that. They may come up with something completely different. Um, I think Make Your Own Luck had something like that with how are you going to prep the town for the siege, right? Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. And that's. You know, your earlier question, what's one of the defining things about 13th Age Adventures? It's the flexibility. Um, I could probably run the same thing twice with the same group and with different characters. I could come up with that's, that's always been our goal, but, but uh, that's one thing that Rob is very keen on. But when you, you should have uh, the ability to run the same game with the same players three or four times, and it always is different. So, so how about a montage where the players have, where the PCs have shown up in the town? It's almost like Return of the Jedi when everyone's sort of positioned around Jabba's palace. It's like, okay, here are the things you know about this town in relationship, and and you need to get to the Sun Worshippers, like, island fortress. Mm-hmm. Tell us what you do. Yeah, so the, the first montage starts at the town, ends at the shore of the... Give the point the A island. and point B, and then yeah. how do you get there? Yeah. Okay. Okay, cool. And, then we have so perhaps, and perhaps you could have something like the sea monster, for example, like one of the one of the routes, the easiest route to get there, you know of, involves sea monster, or you could take this other route, but it's got this and that. Well, that, that would be deal. that would be um, so we we could, we could work that into the skill challenge mm-hmm. as being as we got the riddles with the sea monster. Uh, sea monsters um, gives us an opportunity to bring in icons. Is uh-huh. this a sea monster of the druid? Is it a sea monster of? You know, that has a grudge against the Archmage because it's banished. So uh-huh. we could provide some options there. Definitely. And then we is, have. Is it um, actually, you know, like a dragon? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a, always good to give players choices too in, in those sorts of options, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. here's option A that's harder, but you get this. Here's option B that's easier, but you. So, so we, we, yeah. we've got three possibilities here, and we, we could say, okay, so your, your options for the skill challenge are. You, you decide just to, just to head directly towards the cliffs uh, and try and hope the best. But there's a potential for your boat smashing. Everybody takes a lot of damage. Uh, you, could try, you could try landing on the beach, but the, you know that some worshippers watch the beach. 
So if, if you fail that skill challenge, then the next fight is going to be a lot harder. Or you've heard that there's this sea dragon. And the sea dragon might allow you through, but the sea dragon, like, hates icon A, B, or C, <laughs> and loves riddles. <laughs> and then, then you give them the option, you know, which skill challenge do you want to do? And then there's a possible outcome from each one. And failing the riddle one could turn into a fight with that sea dragon. Or is it a sea behemoth? Sea <laughs> behemoth. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Interesting. So, Probably so, we, so we have a montage. How do you get to the island? For, uh-huh. <laughs> this, in this in this thrilling adventure, Island Fortress of the Sun Worshippers. <laughs> working title. Um, so, opening montage, get to um, the Fire Islands, and where the vampire is being held by the secret cabal of Sun Worshippers, is the first big set piece. Then the fight with the Sun Worshipper, or extracting the vampire from imprisonment? So, montage, skill challenge... Yeah, then... then fight. Yeah, fight. Um, so my, my brain instantly yeah. goes to a fight up on the top of the cliffs with mm-hmm. that big epic kind of piece where there's a chance of falling to some extent, whether you're facing outer guards or some sort of guardian creature. So I, I would stick two different potential fights there. I would say potential fight with Sea Dragon... Uh, which means that you're coming um, you're coming into the island from the west because you've gone by the sea dragon route, or potential fights, or you know, definite fights at the clifftop with the sun worshippers, uh, and you've either snuck up on the sun worshippers, but you potentially wrecked your little boat on the cliffs, or you landed on their nice beach at the bottom of the cliffs, but they see you coming. Yeah, they see you coming, and the fight has a lot more. That's yeah, a lot more mooks in it. Mooks oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so that you, you you can kill them and they go ah with a Wilhelm scream off the cliff. So, yeah. I actually have the Wilhelm scream loaded on my laptop for for games. So yeah, <laughs> could be mooks or as you're climbing the stairs to get to them, they're rolling boulders or throwing stuff uh-huh. on you. You know, it's, yes. it's uh, skill checks to avoid damage. Any number of things. Okay. Now, what does the palace, the, the temple of the sun worshippers, look like? That we go with the Aztec, you know, pyramid type thing mm-hmm. with the. With the, the, the hole in the middle, for with the, the sun. hole with the hole in the middle, so that when the sun hits hits the hits the zenith, it's coming right down and just poofs the vampire. Oh, and they built it over a volcano. Sure, a secret volcano base. Secret volcano base. Ah! It doesn't even look like a volcano. It's a big step pyramid. You get to the top and a volcano. So you can't see the pyramid until you crest the volcano. And you're looking down, and there's like this island in the, in the middle of the magma. It's in the caldera. Yes. Yeah, when the sun hits the right point, goodbye vampire, right? I've got one question. Yes. Where is Dr. Evil's secret? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently on, what was it, Fire Island? Fire Island. The or fire no, Island. Islands of Fire. Islands of Fire. The lava chamber. The lava chamber. Okay, so yes, yeah, so that that's pretty exciting because in order to, yeah, so the vampire is in a death trap. You uh-huh. have to rescue the vampire from a death trap that involves a volcano and sunlight. So that, that gives us that gives us skill challenge after our first fight. That's the next skill challenge. That's um, rescue volcano, re- rescue vampire. You've got a time limit, so that, you know you've got a certain number of failed rolls before the vampire goes poof. And then there's got to be a consequence to those failed rolls, like an interesting consequence. So maybe the chamber is also simultaneously being slowly lowered into the lava. 
double risk. So the chamber's slowly going into the lava, it's filling up, you're having to dodge every failed skill roll, you're taking damage from lava, you fail three, maybe four skill rolls, the vampire goes poof anyway, and now you're ankle deep in Something lava. tells me, though, that the sun worshippers wouldn't get nearly as much about, about dumping the vampire in the lava as they would letting their sun god take him. So I'm not sure that that really... It's double sun. It's the sun above and the sun beneath. <laughs> maybe they're summoning some sort of... Sun Avatar. It's yeah, it's fire, 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 fire. Yes, the elemental required, fire. The vampire the required sacrifice for the marriage between the Earth and the Sun. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. so the vampire is the required sacrifice. It's a ritual. It is based on a solar event. Yeah. Yeah, I so know. It's, it's why they haven't killed him yet. This is why. This is why. They have to wait based for the proper specific event. Yes, I like that. I like that. That was the only thing I admit. Right, right. It's, it's, timing is everything. Is timing. And if you added that, then of course the at the beginning, goes. in front of the montages, you want to foreshadow when they're in town with people talking about this this solar thing that's coming. You know, that this you know portends. Yeah, I, I think my favorite line about that was uh, Wolfgang Bard is a great uh, thing called writing your first adventure on the Watsi website. It's in the archives. And it talks, I think, about the first nine things you screw up on the first adventure you write. And one of, them, one of them is talks about backstory. And any backstory your players cannot learn should be thrown out. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Yeah, if players can't see it, it doesn't do them any good. <laughs> it doesn't mean they have to learn it. It just means that they have to be able to learn it some way or another. And, and possibly, I mean, one of the one of the clues we could provide, thinking about investigation, um, somewhere along the way, maybe the players can pick up some sort of, you know, holy scripture or, or pamphlet <laughs> from the sun worshippers <laughs> just explaining this whole thing is and and uh, you know that you have the the uh, you know, sun above and the sun below and the marriage of earth and sky and and you're like, oh, that's what they're trying to do. I, okay. I, I yeah, love they're those crazies at like first. Like a little teaser. And maybe that maybe they're heretics, heretical sun worshippers. Yeah. I, I, I love the fact that there is secret cult of sun worshippers but they have a pamphlet. Which means you'll be a secret for forbidden pamphlet. That's so The chick tract of the sun worshippers. I understand you can get the secrets of the Rosicrucians just by mailing a P.O. box. So, yeah. Um, the Masons put those little signs on their cars. What if, well, what if the, what if the Mer- secret society with, with little things, and then you go, see, in Britain, the, the, the Masonic temples are kind of like, kind of hidden away, but... Here, you in Seattle, you walk down the street and they've got a big sign outside. <laughs> Masonic <laughs> Secret Temple. So should we design the final fight? Yes. I, think, yes. Let's go I right think we should. Oh, just I wanted to throw in, um, if we have about ten minutes, maybe the marriage of uh, Earth and Sky results in the obliteration of the world. It's consumed by the sun. End of the age. Which would be great. End of the age. Which well, makes this, end of the which age makes is this always a epic one. level. Potentially. The dawn of the and you were just here looking to verify a will, and you stumble into this whole oh crap! Okay, so so the reason why they're they're fighting this vampire has got to be suitable. The, the will then has got to be suitably epic. So it has to be it has to be something like this will secretly proves that the empire the the emperor is is illegitimate, or that the uh, this this will if it falls into the wrong hands and is is not ratified in time gives. Uh, Prince of Shadows control over over Axis. Yeah. Who gets who gets the estate if they can't turn up with the appropriate will? 
Yeah, what's what's well, what's the consequence? It, it could be yeah. it could be something mundane but important. Mm-hmm. Um, like like maybe the players will be the, the 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 adventurers will be screwed, and then it's like okay, well we have to get this will, and then they stumble upon this you know apocalyptic this apocalyptic event. event. It's like oh, we were just we just really wanted to make sure that we got this piece of land. Holy crap! Really? Yeah. <laughs> But but now we have to save the world along the way, and so that might depend on fireballs at us and what like tier you're going with, right there. That's maybe definitely will, epic tier if you're. I mean, if if so, yeah, yeah. That, so yeah, yeah. I mean, we can. The will, the will is a MacGuffin, so it all, almost doesn't matter what the will is. So maybe we could put options in for the GM and say, "Yeah, yeah but five things the will could be." Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, let's tier or your That's a great idea. Yeah. Especially for the will, if if it's part of a campaign, you just say, "So what is the thing that my players, my these characters, need the most?" Yes. The will to that. Oh, that's like, funny. In well, I really our campaign, don't lose. if it had been Gwen's will. We would have moved heaven and earth. Yeah, personal campaigns, you're always going to look at those one unique things (laughs) and tie it right to them. If it's a one shot, then we have to. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, a piece of information that the Sunworm Troopers do not want out there, potentially, would be be looked, would be found. Well, let's move on from the will, because I I think that that's not super key as much as designing the final battle. Mm -hmm. We have a skill check. Or the, or the final scene, sorry, the final set piece. So we have a skill check in order to rescue the vampire, mm-hmm. which either succeeds or does not. Mm-hmm. How do we fail forward into an interesting climax okay, if the vampire so is destroyed? The, the, um, or or, or, or did the vampire happen. not... Well, well I, I, I figure they've, they've got the sun, they've got the lava. Um, if, they, if they rescue the vampire in time, the sacrifice doesn't happen. There's some fire elementals, big fight with fire elementals... And and cultists. And the cultists will stand at the edge and they'll chuck boulders down. And they're, they're going to be pretty easy to pick off if this is epic level and they're cultists. But the real thing is they're making the fight that much harder because they, they have these fire elementals coming up. If you fail that, the fire elemental kind of rises up, is infused by the power of the sun, all the cultists die. But now you have this huge sun-infused holy fire elemental that's, that's the marriage between earth and, and, and heaven. I had an idea as far as the skill challenge and how that could fail without immediately resulting in the vampire going poof and you know, you've lost. Instead of just the sun passing through the top of the temple, perhaps there is a crystal that refracts the rays and there is a... And it, and Making oh, so I, I like that. You can't go wrong with crystals. There's yeah. got to be a certain pattern in which these light beams crisscross before they hit the vampire. And so by failing this, you have not uh, stopped the, the, the sun from getting to the top, but you didn't get all of the, ra- the, the light rays stopped, and instead they cross in some other way, which results <laughs> in the horrible... The unholy the, abomination, the, yes. The unholy if, abomination, if it was me, I, if, if it was me I would at that point then say you have, until Escalation, die six to mm-hmm. save the vampire. As, the, as, as you see the rays. I, I, would probably, I guess it's because I come from you know, yet another twist kind of game design. But I also go, and you, I never want the story to end, and 
focus for the players here is not necessarily the end of the world. The focus for them is the will. Yeah. But they might be, this might simply, the ritual doesn't necessarily destroy the vampire because it's the special ritual. It just brings it back. Because this oh, is a group of alive. So, so alive again. They and might be expecting it. Yes. It's like, oh, they're going to kill the vampire. And oh, if they no. don't do this, the volcano eru- you get like a Krakatoa-style eruption where it shoots, you know, it creates a, a volcanic winter instead of, you know, they need to pull this off, but they need you need to keep him so alive. So they're secretly trying to redeem steps, the vampire? Well, there are steps to each one. They get him back alive, and then they plan to sacrifice him fully. Oh, so well, he could be at the will is not enforceable. Yeah. Well, the the, sa- the sacrifice might be the vampire's undeath rather yes. than the vampire itself. I, I always say there's always another twist. It's easy to see that I'm, when I'm on the island of fire, that the volcano is going to erupt. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, easy I mean, as the player I, to see that that's going. To, no matter what happens, no matter what I do, the volcano is going to erupt. I think so. So I we need, so we I think we need a huge sun-infused fire elemental to arise yes. and and provide an oh crap moment, and maybe at a certain point something triggers. It's like if you don't you know, like when the escalation die hits three, suddenly. You know, the ground shakes and the volcano starts to erupt, and this happens. Four, this starts happening, and so you have an incentive to finish that fight. Mm-hmm. That could be a way to handle that mechanically. Talking of incentives to finish fights, <laughs> we've got two, three minutes left? Yes. Uh, any last questions? Yes. Extra strategy. How do they get out of there? Well, look, it's Jay Schneider of Fire Opal Media. <laughs> Hi, I have a question involving the adventure and how you think about changing it if you were designing this for 13th Age in Glorantha? The question is, how would we design ah. it for 13th Age in Glorantha? Um, I would... Uh, in three minutes. <laughs> in three minutes. <laughs> okay, oh boy. Um, so, uh, in 13th Age quest. in Glorantha, it is... Um, yes, uh, for a start, you would go on a hero quest at some point. You, yep. would, you would enter a mythic realm. You would, then, you would then go wrestle the incarnation of the sun to the ground, and that, that would delay the sun crossing the sky. Um, the, uh, in in Grantha, the, there are, uh, there's no icons as people. Your icons are elemental forces. Your icons are things like beast and chaos and fire and law and death and life. So, uh, so they're, they're, what, the, what the sun gods are trying to do is they're trying to uh, some priests are trying to do is they are trying to uh, mess with those elemental rules. They're they're trying to turn darkness into light. Uh, and back in back in the day in, in Grantha, like in, the, in its deep history, there was a period where there was no there was no winter, there was no night. It was like an eternal sunny day. Everything was great. So really, they're they're trying to, from their perspective, they're trying to do a good thing. Trying to return always. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, that, that's, that's what makes a good villain. A good villain mm-hmm. always believes they're in the right. Yeah. Sounds like our sun worshippers. Uh-huh. Okay. And they Great. Thank you all so much for coming. Um, have a great Gen Con, and hope to see you at more panels and at the Pelgrane booth. Where, where is this uh, crowdsourced adventure going to end up? At the, you know, that's a great question. At the very, at the very least, it's going to end up um, on the blog, uh, probably as a, as a page XX entry. Nice. At the very least. Thanks Thanks a lot, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this special Tome Show episode featuring the 13th Age Seminars from Gen Con 2015. We'll be back to our regular programming next week. Thanks for listening.